Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network coming to you once again (laughs) for Showgirls. Well, not once again for Showgirls. The first time we've ever done Showgirls, Bad Movie Month, and Collins made his decision. He's done a Ben in a Barbie and just chucked it out the window already uh, because we're here to cover the 1995 erotic drama thriller film, according to Wikipedia. Directed by Paul Verhoeven from a script written by Joe Esterhass, starring Elizabeth Berkley, Carl McLaughlin, Gina Gershon, Glenn Plummer, Robert Darby, and a bunch of other people who you go, hey, it's that person, uh, in a movie that was absolutely universally panned when it first came out. It destroyed Elizabeth Berkley's career, but nearly 30 years later... Has it perhaps stood the test of time? According to a former Oslet, it's not a bad film. You're watching it wrong. <laughs> I watched it wrong. Is I'm he sorry. telling the truth or not? And also the movie which Colin discovered a lot of things. Uh, a <laughs> lot of... This is the closest Colin has ever watched a full-length porn film. And this isn't even really porn. So I'm intrigued to talk about this one. I'm intrigued to hear Colin's opinion. I'm sure he's intrigued to hear my opinion. My name is Ben, and I'm erect. Why aren't you erect? My name is Colin, and you can't touch me, but I can touch you. I'd really love to touch you. There's so many good quotes in this movie. Like, this is like an oh, Oz there, Network there, there perfect is. movie. <laughs> there is. It's just, they're not good in the movie. Like, this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save some time here. Like, I can see a version of this movie that would really work and be so bad it's good. I could see a version starring Tommy Wiseau as Nomi that would just be brilliant or even just directed by Tommy Wiseau. Like, this is just, it's so serious. Like, have some fun with a bad movie. Well, I mean, I... I, 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 I we've, got, we've got literally, like, less than an hour. I know we say that, but I've got to get a train to catch. I've got to go hang out with Jimmy and go see a World Cup match. So we've got time to go. That's what happens when you sleep through an alarm. I, I wish we were taking longer to do this movie because... I like this movie. It's 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 a bad movie. I wonder why. It, well, no, not just because of the obvious reasons. Like, I, I, I saw a review of this, and I think it's very true. I think there's so much nudity and sex in this movie that you just become numb to it 10 minutes in. So, yeah. like, that's, that's not even why I like this movie. If I want to see that, I've got other websites I can go to. But it's... I Most of the reviews, and even what Cable said, and, like... I think if you watch this movie with a vision that this is meant to be a serious movie, I agree with Cable. You're watching it wrong. This is a satire. This is taking the piss out of like, you know, the Hollywood dream and kind of the Hollywood machine. And yeah, it's badly acted. Yeah, it's over the top. But this is Paul Verhoeven. Like he did Starship Troopers. That's a movie which in itself is very similar to Showgirls in the way it's set. Like it's, Done very seriously. It's got bad acting, but if you take it a certain way, you enjoy it. I think this movie is weirdly enjoyable, and I see the cultness that this movie has gotten over the years. There's, there's something about this, Colin. Like, I actually really enjoy... I, I stopped this movie and going, did I just enjoy Showgirls and not for the reason why everybody's going to say why I enjoyed it? Like, that was weirdly enjoyable. Like, I... I- I, I feel like this isn't a you're watching it wrong type movie. I feel like this is you made it wrong, Paul Verhoeven, because you look at his filmography. I mean, Robocop, Total Recall, Starship Troopers. I mean, he's known for making bad movies in his way where they're big and they're extravagant and they're fun. And it's like 
nobody in this movie got the memo, including Paul Verhoeven, that like this should be a fun, bad movie. Uh, the, the, the nudity, it, you're completely right. Like you're completely numb to it. I even told Jamie, I'm like, there's nothing appealing about this, you know, yeah. because the entire movie, I mean, Elizabeth Berkeley basically said like she spent four months on the set nude and didn't even realize she was nude half the time. Like that's, that's kind of the audience watching this. There's nothing erotic about this movie. There's nothing thrilling about this movie. And it's not even the script is bad enough that it could be funny, but like nobody, there's one actor in this movie who actually delivers it like they know they're in a Paul Verhoeven movie. Like Paul Verhoeven is the one who made the mistake on this movie. And Elizabeth Berkley, because I'm going to say this right now, uh, Madonna is bad, but Madonna is much better in any movie she's ever made than Elizabeth Berkley in this. This may be the single worst acting performance I have ever seen in my life in at least a movie over a $10 million budget. Oh, that's the happiest thing I've ever heard Colin say for me. Yeah. We just do this entire movie. like, Let's just do this entire movie just angry. We'll we'll get through it in 58 minutes. We're just angry. Let's do it like Elizabeth Berkley. This movie, I'm going to bid it. Oh, I didn't like this movie at all. Okay, that's my performance. That's my Elizabeth Berkley. I'm actually honestly surprised that this wasn't a Madonna movie. Uh, I mean, she did... Uh, she could have made this work. I hate to say it. She could have. What was that Willem Dafoe movie she did around this period? That, like, real sex-based movie that... that I that doesn't sound like something I would see. I mean, this was a weird, weird time for movies. Like, everybody was horny in the early 90s. Basic Instinct. Yeah. Uh, you know? Paul like, Verhoeven. Paul Ver- <laughs> like, it just, it just... Everyone was just that horny. Madonna had a sex period, you know, when she released an erotica and she released a sex book. Um, and it's it's interesting, like, you look at this now nearly 30 years on and, yeah, I mean, there's some graphic stuff in this film which today you'd be very, like, I mean, the, the rape scene, oh, my God, that's a bit full on. And sort of the, the, the lap dance sequence and there's a bit of, like, backwards and frontwards nudity that, you know, brief flashes of it. This was obviously an NC-17 release, uh, very, I think it was the first ever full-length NC-17 film of this nature that got released in a, in a way like this, like not like, mm. you know, Debbie Does Dallas, like an actual porn film. This was like, you know, a sort of a, a main Hollywood release. So a lot of controversy around this film at the time. And I guess, yeah, Elizabeth Berkley, like, I watched Saved by the Bell briefly as a kid. It wasn't one of those, like I was more of like a full house guy. Uh, uh, I was going to say it was basically Full House on Saturday mornings, which yeah. you know, I already know my opinions on Full House. <laughs> like, I, I remember, like, sort of before I ever remember really getting into, like, sitcoms like Friends and Home Improvement and those sort of shows, like, I, I had that period, like, pre that period where it was, like, it was this, it was Showgirls. Um, Showgirls? <laughs> uh, show, Showgirls is a sitcom. Um, what was the Steve Urkel one? Family Matters? Family Matters, yeah. Another um, one that I have issues with. There's a genre here that I apparently don't like. Yeah, it was just it was just kind of like, uh, again, you 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 watch them. Like uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Like, I remember watching it mm. and, like, enjoying it. But could I remember any episode? No. Full House a little bit more because I used to watch that a little bit more. But um, Saved by the Bell was that one because I know that was the one with um, oh, Mario Lopez in it, right? Yeah. Um, and the, the, the Screech who went to did, he actually went and did porn, didn't he? Um, yeah, yeah. He should have done Showgirls. He should have. But um, so I, I don't really know a whole lot of of Elizabeth Berkeley outside of this and that. Again, she's horrible. She really is terrible in this film. But again, there's just something. But halfway through this film, where you're so numb to it and used to it, where I'm just kind of like, ah, she's horrible. And it's just it just kind of just makes it like it's not like say with like when we did Swept Away or Crossroads, where you, or Glitter, like you almost feel bad for Britney Spears, Madonna, and Mariah Carey, because no matter what they did in that film, they're not going to win. Like, not yeah. everyone's going to come out of that like a, a Lady Gaga or a Jennifer Lopez, you know. These these singers who are actually maybe more well-known for their acting in some parts, you know. This is just a bit of a, ah, oh, like, you, you know, Britney Spears, Mariah Carey doing a movie, a bit different with Madonna because she's like kind of, no matter what you say, forged a career out of acting, whereas that was a one-off for Mariah Carey and Britney Spears. So, but like for Elizabeth Berkeley, she was an established actor. Uh, <laughs> I mean, clearly, show uh, Saved by the Bell didn't win Emmys back in the day. But outside of that, the cast in this movie, like Gina Gershon, now she's like, lots and lots of things, Face obviously. Off. Face off, of course. Robert Darby, good friend of ours here on the show, of course. Uh, Kyle McLaughlin, who I've never seen Twin Peaks, but Desperate Housewives. He was in Desperate Housewives. Uh, he was in How I Met Your Mother for a little bit as well. Um, and is it who's the the Glenn Plummer who was in Speed? He was in Day After Tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, he was in ER. Uh, Tune Man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Um, so, I mean, pretty decent cast in this film outside of that as well. But um, I, I really wish we had seen this movie when we interviewed Robert Darby because, <laughs> wow, is he different to like uh, to Sanchez. Talking about blowjobs and being come on. I'm like, fuck, that's a different side to Sanchez. Colin had to look all those things up. Like so much he didn't know what they were. But um, I guess that's just my real quick way of going through the cast. Uh, did you, Elizabeth Berkeley? I mean, has she done anything else? I think this destroyed her, didn't she, after this movie? She didn't really do anything, uh- right? No, it's funny because you look through her filmography. She was in the first Wives Club, and I do remember the first Wives oh, Club being like a huge movie. Love and that I, movie. I just, uh, I already just, I, I hate this woman. She's like, she is so dumb. She basically She's in any given said, Sunday. "Oh yeah, my." Well, but like that's the thing. She said, "Oh yeah, you know, I was, I was basically just blacklisted because I was in that stripper movie." She did some pretty big things after this. If anything, this probably helped her career. Well, She's just a terrible actress. She hasn't acted in a movie since 2009. She's just been sporadically in TV since then. So, so she had 14 good years. I mean, what has Glenn Plummer done in the 14 years after Showgirls? Oh, Glenn Plummer, don't bring him into this. It was Toon Man. <laughs> he's, the, you know, he's the hero of this movie. Like, I think that was yeah. one of my big... Like, there's nobody like in this movie, which is fine. But you have this one character that is basically a hero of the movie and you spend half the movie building him up like there's a story to go there and then they just dump him i kept wondering is this guy coming back like is there a purpose to him oh and i'm also very sad looking here at the uh, golden raspberry awards for that year because apparently congo was nominated for worst pitch poor dylan walsh <laughs> what did he do wrong um this is water i tried to rewatch well. that movie last year all right this well, is- yeah this is a Big year for bad movies. I was looking at 1995 in the box office. Not a massive standout year, is it, really, for it? No. Um, I mean, just quickly, Paul Verhoeven then. I mean, it's. I love... I wish we did have more time to talk about this film because the retrospective of this film and just, like, the, the love it's sort of gotten over the years. Even HBO Max have done a little four-minute short video on YouTube going, it's like, it's literally titled, Why Showgirls is the Best Movie Ever. And, like, they literally, like, the subtitles and everything they have, and then at the end of it, they're just like, and just remember to have some fun with it. This movie, and I'm going to say this now because I'll forget at the end because we're going to be rushing through it so much. The the cult status that this has actually achieved, it's very similar to The Room. It's similar to Rocky Horror Picture Mm -hmm. Show. This has midnight screenings. It's very big in the gay community. So this is a very big film now where sort of a lot of people in the gay community will dress up, sing along with it, and I can see it. Like, I can see it. Yeah, how do you dress up to showgirls? (laughs) I'm going to cosplay nude. (laughs) Bikini, thongs, all that kind of stuff. But, like, it's just... And, like, this is what I was going to say. You brought up The Room and, like, so much of this actually reminded me of The Room. Elizabeth Berkeley reminded me of Tommy Wiseau in this film, just the way she acts. And that's why I think, like, maybe, like, I can grow an appreciation for this movie because it's so much of it reminded me of The Room. I'm like, this movie is so bad, it's enjoyably good. And that's why I love that you've kind of got this status of it. And even Paul Verhoeven has come out over the years and, like, defend. I think Elizabeth Berkeley has become a lot more comfortable over the years now doing interviews and talking about it. I watched one of the best videos I watched on this on YouTube was like this sweet married couple. I, they're probably younger than you and Jamie. And I'm. They, they sound like they're from the south of the US. They sound like they're very like conservative. And you've got like this husband and wife just reviewing this and they're unboxing the 4K Blu-ray of it. And then you've got like this woman who's like, well, hon, I'm just going to look through this book and I think I'm going to have to take this away from you. And oh, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to let you watch this movie, even though I know you've seen it because it's got the boobies and lots of the sexual things in it. And like at the end of it, they're just so sweet and innocent, but they end up giving it a three out of five. So I'm like, I like this married couple. I want to watch their YouTube channel. They're great. Um, but I don't know anything to touch on like the cultness of it. I mean, uh, I also touching on your history of it, Jamie as well, all our usual things package it in here. Yeah. I mean, I never seen the movie. I knew it existed. I remember, uh, the, the mid nineties, like this was a big deal that they decided to do a wide release. That was NC 17. I don't know if it was the first one to do that, but, um, in the end it, yeah, people say it bombed, but for an NC 17 movie, it probably made more money than any NC 17 movie history. And then, I know the big thing is how much money this thing has made on video, like one of the top selling videos in history. Like, so this movie has turned profit over and over and over again. Like, and I, I, I get that there's any bad movie has that following. So I'm not going to tell anybody who likes this movie, you're wrong, but I mean, I just see such a better version of this movie that could exist where the, the people who have in their heads, like, Oh, this movie's like so bad. It's brilliant. I'm like, yeah, but I've seen movies that are so bad they're brilliant, and this isn't it to me. It's it's this is why we do this month, right? It's you know we did that month a couple of years ago where it was like movies that are terrible and we are going to bin them, right? This is more mm. of a 
let's do these movies that are universally regarded as the worst of all time and see if we can see some good in it. Last week, there was nothing. Jack and Jill. When we did Gigli the other year, you know, regarded as the worst of all time. You and I both both came out of that movie going like, look, there is a good movie in this movie. It's just badly put together. There's mm-hmm. been very few movies I feel that we've both done, which we've come out of it gone like, okay, yep, that is absolutely horrible. Uh, the emoji, emoji movie. movie. <laughs> um, you know, but like I, I kind of w- went into this movie Almost expecting to like it, not just for those reasons. I, like, I knew you wouldn't. Like, I think I got 10 minutes into this and you said to me the other day, I watched it. But I think that's what's the, the beautiful thing about bad movies is that they can have that this second life. And we've discovered that with The Room. And I think it's perfect that we're doing this. Maybe I think we need to come up with a thing every year that August is always our bad movie month because that is the month we do our, our yeah. room. That, that makes sense. So it makes sense that our Room 5th anniversary episode with Greg Sestro will be airing next week. Uh, given that it is bad movie month. But, like, that's why I love some of these movies having these these cycles. And it's rare for a bad movie to almost have that second wind. Like, as in, mm-hmm. you, you know, Gigli has not had that yet. Uh, but, like, a movie like The Room, this does. There are other bad movies that will have that as well. So, yeah. I find Howl the Duck is a perfect one next week, which I feel has got mm-hmm. a different viewpoint on it now. So, um, interesting. I, I think I mentioned at the end of last week, I... Saw this as a teenager when I went through that phase of, oh, I'm discovering myself and all oh, my parents are renting naughty movies. So, oh, yeah. I'm going to fast forward to all the good bits. So <laughs> that was me as like a 14 year old. Not ashamed to admit it. But um, yeah, anyway. And Cable, I hope you're listening to this episode because, again, I agree with you. Watching it wrong. <laughs> I enjoyed this movie. So we're going to speed through this very quickly. Uh, and I think we can achieve it today, not only because I'm hosting it, but also because, again, what else is there? I mean, the plot of this movie is. Essentially, girl has dream to be dancer, moves to Las Vegas, has loses everything, has to basically strip to make ends meet, but then also dreams of being in the biggest Vegas show of them all and gets corrupted by the limelight and Hollywood power and then does something good at the end and leaves and goes off to Hollywood, which they originally the plan was they were going to do a sequel to this of her trying to make it in Hollywood. They did do a sequel to this about seven years old, 10 years ago, was starring one of the more minor strippers in it, um, which I don't know how that was received. But anyway, so we got old Elizabeth Berkeley. What's her name? Nomi? Um, Nomi, yeah. Nomi uh, from James Bond. Here she is. <laughs> uh, so she's hitchhiking. She gets picked up by uh, Elvis guy who's a bit creepy. Can I, like, this is going to sound weird, but bear with me. Is this movie ahead of its time? Because I think... This does a solid job. Female empowerment's not the right word in a movie about stripper. But hang on, actually, no. I I will maybe add to it because it does have a bit of a female empowerment to this because it's very much a movie about how women are treated, how they've got to get their way to the top sometimes. And also, I would say Elizabeth Berkley, Nomi here, is a strong female character. She's independent. (laughs) She lives with another woman. She basically stands on her feet all the time (sighs) and... No, you don't agree with me? No. But, like, I think there's, like, I mean, there's there's many moments in this movie which you'd be made into a film today. I, this is going to be a stupid comparison. I don't know you're going to roll your eyes at it. I think this movie does some of these messages better than Barbie because it doesn't shove it down Ugh. your throat. It does it in a manner where it's just in the movie. And, like, this movie literally has a graphically horrific scene of a woman getting gang raped. It's disgusting. It's terrible. It's confronting. But then... How do they solve it? It's also ridiculous and and almost laughable. (laughs) Exactly. But then, like, Nomi takes back this power by threatening a guy and walking out, yeah, woman, and then leaves. Didn't have that in Barbie, and Barbie would have had a 20-minute monologue from American Ferreira telling us how rape is bad. She she also nearly murdered her mentor, and there's no consequence for her at all, and they basically make up at the end. The message of this movie is, you turn into a sociopath, it's okay as long but as. How many times you pick do men do that in movies, Colin, and it's fine? But when a woman does it, it's not okay. It's not, it's not <laughs> right for anybody. It's, uh, the, the, the biggest reason why I think she's not a strong character is because she spends this entire movie being completely unstable, completely erratic, losing it for no reason. And she we don't even know she has a dream. Like, this is the biggest problem with this movie. I'm jumping way ahead here, but the biggest problem with this movie is. We see her going to Las Vegas. We see her meeting up with some woman that even though she's basically assaulting this woman, the woman's like, why don't you sleep on my couch? And then three months later, she's stripping. We've had no, uh, nothing to establish that this is a dream or if this is just, this is the only way I can make money. 
And she's still sleeping on the couch where she's making $500 a night? This is successful? I I, I agree with you. I think there is definitely lots of things missing. You're right. It's not really established what her dream is. Uh, You know, it goes like, yes, I agree. There are definitely problems with the movie, but she's a wild narrator character. So is Mel Gibson and Lisa Weapon, but we love him. So, you know. I'm not comparing her to Mel Gibson and Lisa Weapon. Mel Gibson and Lisa Weapon is a better character and a better actor. I'm just, her compared to Mel Gibson in real life might be a fair comparison. Touche, well done. But like, I just, I just feel that this movie is ahead of its time in that it's, it's, it's a bit empowering yeah. for women. I think it's got a strong message to it in a weird way. I, I think, I think the the only thing I appreciate about being empowering in this movie is that a lot of the movie is basically these women saying like, "This isn't about me stripping. This is an art form," you know. Well, and and they do have that conversation about, listen, you're still you're you're, you're still prostituting yourself. You're just doing it on on stage with people paying a thousand dollars a ticket. I, like, there's a difference between the ones who are out there basically getting, you know, people shoving dollar bills down their panties, and the ones who are doing it on a stage where it's a big production with yeah, millions of dollars behind. And absolutely agree to a point, but I also think, like, I know this movie sort of had a lot of debate and commentary around sort of its portrayal of like the sex industry and things like that. Well, mainly like the stripping industry, but I think it does put a decent light on it in the fact that, you know, stripping and, and prostitution are kind of always lumped into the same things. Like these are just cheap industries. You know, you do it because you're poor, you need to, and they don't have the best reput- reputation. But I think kind of it, it paints a bit of a light on some of these women that like they're enjoying it. They want to do it. And like, that's a thing that is a thing. And I, I don't know, like, I feel like there's some things you can take on the betrayal of this. And I know we had strip tease was a movie that came out around the same time and I've never seen strip tease doesn't obviously usually have the the negative reception that this film does but i just i i guess what i'm trying to make is for a movie made in the 90s a period not really known for forward-thinking movies like we have today i think there's elements you can take from this that and i'm not just saying this and i know you're gonna roll your eyes i think there are elements of this movie that did it better than barbie it's you don't have to shove it down your throat that's my issue with barbie don't shove it down your throat and be so preachy. Make it subtle. And like, I think I this movie feel like does Barbie that. was a lot more subtle than a gang rape scene. <laughs> I, I would argue that a prostitution tw- at a boat show in a gang rape scene, but Barbie, because they say patriarchy exists for 10 minutes <laughs> in subtle. a speech where American Ferreira may as well say, all right, men, I'm going to sit you down and give you a lesson right now about what the patriarchy is and why <laughs> women are treated bad. I'm sorry. That is not subtle. Um, anyway, so she's hitchhiking. Elvis picks her up. He steals a suitcase, which why would he want to steal some random girl's suitcase? It's just got like clothes in it and sure. Um, she's so, a stripper. Doesn't even have clothes in it. <laughs> oh, Col- we know Colin's opinion on the sex industry. Uh, <laughs> oh, Colin, sexist against sex workers. Um, did, you, did Jamie watch this movie with you? No, she had no interest in that as well. Oh, I wonder if you did Magic Mike. When um, I was telling, well, she, she has no interest in Magic Mike because she thinks Channing Tatum looks like an idiot. But <laughs> she she really has something against Channing Tatum and Ryan Gosling. You, you know that outside of Channing Tatum, like there are other more men in that movie, right? Like you know, what's his face bombers I'm, I'm, in it, and um, the the Hulking guy who was Thingo in Spider Man, oh, Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> yeah, it's Mark Ruffalo in in Magic Mike Three. There's a man. I would have seen it if he was. <laughs> Um, so she's, she's lost everything cause she had a suitcase. So she starts pounding on some person's car. And this is the first of Elizabeth Berkeley's many over the top, terrible acting. Oh, oh, why me? I've lost all my things. And this woman, what's her friend's name here? I like her friend. Yeah. She's one of the decent characters in this movie. Um, let's call her Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah is here. Uh, no, what's her name? Uh, Molly. It's Molly. I was just thinking of my cat. I had a cat called Molly. Um, so Molly's all like, hey, that's my car. What are you talking about? And she's all like, Arr. so they go and have a burger. Lots of burgers in this movie. Really makes, wants me to have burgers. And she's all like, oh, I came from... Hey! <laughs> what's his name from? I'm Edward Furlong. Apparently that's who she's... <laughs> Edward Furlong. <laughs> What was that in person presentation we did one time? So she's all like, oh, I've got nothing. And she's all like, oh, where are you from? Around. I'm from the East. Whereabouts in the East? Everywhere. So this is kind of one of those like weird threads of a plot where it's like, oh, her <sighs> mysterious background, which kind of really goes nowhere and is solved in like five seconds. So basically Molly here's like, well, hey, I know a good woman. When I see one, you're going to come live with me. Now, 
I'm not a nice person. I just want to say that right now. Even like I, I will say this. I think Elizabeth Berkeley is quite attractive. I think you, you know her character is annoying. You don't find her attractive? Not in the slightest. Okay. Well, anyway. <laughs> Not to say that that's the be-all and end-all in anything, but even if I had somebody who looked like Elizabeth Berkeley, who was like, oh, I am so lonely, I need a place to stay. I'm sorry. Even Natalie Portman I would turn down. I like living by myself at the moment. I don't want a stranger coming and stay with me. <laughs> even if Tom Cruise himself... Well, Tom Cruise is different. He can sleep in my bed. I know he'd like it. Um, but, like, it's just... I don't know. So Molly's a much nicer human than I am. Flash forward to six months later. They're living in their trailer. It's sort of, like... Is it impl- like the implication that these two are like together? Like, that's one thing I really like about this film, about this kind of like, I guess she's bisexual because like I spent the first half of this movie thinking she was gay. So like when she's going after old Toon Man here that, you know, there's going to be no interest in it. But that's what I think it kind of does well. It's sort of like she's just fluid. She just doesn't care if you're a male or female. She'll flirt with you and get them I and all the stuff with Gina Gershon later on. It's just like, oh, this is very sexual. I kind of like it, how it's just so open-ended. So, anyway, you don't know, I understand. Look up lesbian, Colin. It's, it's a thing. Um, so, anyway, she's uh, been sleeping on the couch. We see the first poster in the background of this Fabio-looking guy, um, which when I first saw that, I actually thought he was somebody. I didn't realise that was going to become a plot point, that this guy's going to come into the movie yeah. later on. So, she's all like, uh, Molly's all like, hey, you don't have to work for ages. Come watch me. Uh, come watch this performance. So we go to this massive Vegas performance, which is cool. I like this kind of like the, the fire and the set. It's some sort of like, I don't know, this is like Barbarella that we're doing later in the year. It's just some alien planet with nudity in it. A very Vegas. Um, and Elizabeth Berkeley's all like doing the dance mode. She's in trance. So, you know, this is her dream. She obviously wants to be part of this show. This is why she came to Vegas to be a dancer, even though we just are never told that. So she goes backstage. She meets Gina Gershon. She's all like, hey, honey, you're a dancer. Well, you dance at the cheetah. You're nothing but a dirty stripper. Piss off. Uh, to which, which she doesn't say that. She just basically goes like, well, that's not real dancing. To which Elizabeth Berkeley has another outburst of, oh, you don't know shit. And then <laughs> storms out. <laughs> Again, there's just something endearing about how bad she is. Uh, no. I, I, to me, I, this is Jill from Jack and Jill. It's like after about 10 seconds, it's like, okay, this is starting to get annoying. And then after 10 minutes, like, this is really getting annoying. And after an hour, you're like, please stop. I'm going to go through so much of the movie here right now, so try and keep up. <laughs> so um, they they get all excited. They're all like, hey, let's go dancing. So they go dancing. And maybe one of the, like, cringiest scenes I have in this movie is when she meets Two Man for the first time. He's all, like, like speaking to his friend, like, hey, check out the girl over here. She's a pretty good dancer. I'm going to go dance with her. Hey, honey, you want to dance? I am dancing. Well, you want to see me dance? I'm a good dancer. Sure. So they get into this dance-off. He's all like, oh, you're just teasing my dick. She's all like, and again, like, this to me is an empowering woman because she knows she's got the power over him. So she's basically, like, withholding his advance. This is, like, this sounds a bit disrespectful, but this is not meant to be disrespectful. This is what women are like in clubs. They know they've got the power over men, and they do. They have the power on them. What a minute. You've never been to a club. You wouldn't know how this works. But, like, every man in that club is trying to get his dick wet. Let's be honest. That's how it works. Every woman in that club knows that they have the power to stop that. So they do what they can in every way possible to feel in control. This this is one of those places on the planet, I don't give a shit whether the patriarchy is real or not, a club, women have control. There is a matriarchy in a club. Where's the Barbie movie about the disparity and unequal treatment of men in a club? There's my movie coming soon. But anyway, so she's like great in this scene. She ends up starting a fight. There's a bar fight. They go to jail. He's then trying to flirt with her and pick her up, and then Molly's there to save the day. Um, the cringy bit about this thing that I love is that she's dancing terribly on the dance floor. He comes in and starts dancing with her terribly. Now, Elizabeth Berkeley is a great dancer in this film. She used to be a dancer, so she's got the skills. Old Toon Man here isn't too bad either for the type of dancing he does. But why are they, like, dancing like you and I would dance in a club? This is like Night at the Roxbury-style <laughs> dancing where they're just going like this. Like, nobody can see it right now in the video. But then they're like, oh, you're a really good dancer. Like, no, they're not. Like, is it? And again, but I somehow feel this is the, the, the point of this scene. Like, it's meant to be, like, taking the mickey out of this. And that's why I kind of, like, it's so cringy. But at the same time, I'm like, I think Paul, Ver- Paul Verhoeven's onto something here with this. I don't know. So one thing that also doesn't really make sense is that I think the next two next scene that these two will have She's like in love with him. So she's all like, fuck you. I'm a strong woman. Next minute, like, oh, turn me back to your place and play with my nipples. Um, 
we go to Cheetah's Strip Club here. We meet Robert Darby, the club man who we've got a new stripper involved and he's basically like, hey, darling, go give a lap dance and give me a blowjob. Bye. Uh, I love this, like, the bigger woman who has that show where she keeps, like, pulling a top down. She's hilarious. I love her. Yeah. You don't like her or? No, I was going to say, I said earlier there was at least one actor who kind of got what this movie was supposed to be. So I'm going to say there's two actors because, yeah, she she gets what this movie should have been. This entire movie should have been people like her. She's so, But this is where I think, like, again, going back to my point about sh- shining a different light on the, like, the stripping industry because, like, everybody in this scene, like, yeah, okay, you've kind of got this young, innocent girl who obviously, you know, has been forced to do bad things and, Again, sadly, that's how, you know, these women are treated, at least in this period of time. I'm sure it's still happening today. But, like, every single one of these females in this back room getting ready, like, they're there because they enjoy it. They're not, they're, they're not being forced to. They're, like, they're all mm-hmm. having a good time. They're having fun. I've not seen Magic Mike, but, you know, I, I know Magic Mike's kind of, like, always used to be compared to, like, a strip tease or a showgirls as kind of, like, the, the opposite of that. Because I think, from what I know of the Magic Mike movies, like, Channing Tatum's down on his luck and he's got to make his way through, right? Like, and kind of all those standard movies. So we got this kind of whole sequence where we've got lots of boobs, lots of vaginas, lots of buttholes, lots of sex. And then Gina Gershon comes in uh, and we meet for the first time as well in this movie, Desperate Housewives, Carl McLaughlin. Sorry, Twin Peaks fans. Uh, He played awesome on Desperate Housewives. I liked him. He was great. Uh, And the captain, he played a character called the captain on How I Met Your Mother. Did you ever watch Twin Peaks? No, never seen it. Oh, I thought I thought you and Noah used to talk because Noah, I think, was really into Twin Peaks. Uh, Noah seems that seems like a Noah show. Are you a Carl McLaughlin aficionado? Know much about him or seen him in much I, things? I like I knew Twin Peaks existed. I didn't know he was in this movie. I probably seen him in a couple things, not from Desperate Housewives. Uh, I do like though that he's he's one of the actors of this movie who basically flat out admits, "Yeah, that was horrible. I don't know what I was thinking." <laughs> but I, I will say, like. And you're going to disagree with me. I don't think he gives a bad performance. I think outside of Elizabeth Berkeley, not really anybody gives a bad performance in this film. I think it's... Yeah, it, like, it, he's not bad, but it, like everybody else, it's like he thought he was making this very serious drama and then it didn't turn out that way. I don't think he... One thing I'll say for him, I don't think he's got that look of kind of like that attractive, sleazy kind of... Because he's what, like the entertainment coordinator at the Showgirls thing? Because, like, mm. I don't know, he just... He, he plays a different type. Like, he's a dentist in Desperate Housewives. He's that creepy guy in Twin Peaks. Like, that's the type of role. He's the villain in the Flintstones. That's what I would know him best uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I vaguely remember that. But he's also got the Matt LeBlanc, Joey, early friends haircut here going on. It was the early 90s, I guess. So anyway, God, I got lots of cover here. So Elizabeth Berkeley does a sexy <laughs> dance. She ends up giving a lip, lip dance, a lap dance to Carl McLaughlin here. And when Gina Gershman's, like, weirdly looking on, um, which she's very, you know who she reminds me of? Uh, Xenia on a top. She's very like, uh, like just watching on very like 1995, but same year as Goldeneye. But again, taking it way too seriously in this movie. You don't like Gina Gershon at all? No, I mean, like again, she's meaningless. The only other thing I think I would know her from would be Face Off and she's kind of just there in Face Off. Here, I, I kind of have the same feeling as Kyle McLaughlin. Like it's like yeah, her acting's not bad if this were a serious movie that actually succeeded, but it isn't. It, I would have loved to have seen what she could have done or Kyle McLaughlin could have done by going really over the top, but they didn't. One of the more infamous scenes in this movie is the lap dance, but you had to look that one up, Colin. Um, but the thing <laughs> that I also love about the sex in this film, it is so over the top. Wait till we get to the pool scene. Um, but like, it's just, it's just yeah, hilarious that's... how over the top it is. But so she's kind of having this weird stare down with Gina Gershon and basically like this is her like, oh, I hate you, bitch. I'm going to show you how good of a dancer I I am. Um, She eventually gets given an audition to go try out for this showgirls show, whatever it is. Um, They have this like big dance off where there's lots of boobs and uh, a creepy guy who keeps saying he's a prick. This is me, basically. What does he say? Like, you know, I think you've all heard that I'm a prick. Well, I am a prick. Yeah. That's how I... This get, guy I like. This guy gets it. This, this is literally how I audition people back in the day for Survivor Oz. Uh, I'm like, Colin, get your tits out. Put some ice on them. Are you erect? I'm erect. That's how I got... That's how you became an Oslet, Colin, isn't it? Like, let's be honest. I used to sexually abuse the shit not, out of you back 10 years ago. Uh, we're not allowed to talk about it right now. There's some pending lawsuits from other Oslets. Ah, until, until the papers get served on my desk, I don't care. <laughs> I got ice and I rubbed them on Colin's nipples. I'm like, put them on there, Colin. <laughs> Should have seen what I did to Noah. Noah gave me three lap dances in one day. It was great. Um, 
So uh, basically, Elizabeth Berkeley uh, shoves shit in his face because she doesn't want to rub ice on her nipples. We've all been there. Uh, meanwhile, she doesn't want to rub ice on her nipples and be treated like shit, but she goes and gives a lap dance to uh, two men because five minutes ago, they these two hated each other. The next minute, they're pretty much having sex. But she's on a period and he tries to touch her the JJ and gets blood on his fingers. Um, mm-hmm. That happens in this movie. Um, he wants her to join his, like, one-man off-Broadway club show that's not... <laughs> like, this is the one thing that... One thing. Many things I don't get in this movie is like, yeah, you're right. He's kind of the hero. I like him as a character. But I don't get this plot line. It's like, this is meant to be the love story. They have, like... Mm-hmm. One meeting where they're not at each other's throats, he, like, rubs her nipples and fingers her for, like, two seconds. The next minute, she's all like, oh, you're sleeping with other women? Like, uh, and you literally say you can sleep with me when you love me, yet, like, in three scenes, you're going to be having sex with the guy because he's powerful. Like, yeah. you don't make sense, love. And then you can't go off at him when he's sleeping with someone else. You shut him down. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, man or woman, in any context... If you are, like, not in a relationship, let's preface that for some people who don't know the difference, you can sleep with other people unless you're exclusive with someone, right? If that's your beliefs. I realise there are some people who have non-monogamous relationships. Some who do and that he- and think they're in a monogamous relationship. But the <laughs> point is, why? And, they, and does he really want her to give up on her loose dream that we know because she watched the show once that I'm going to go do off, like, right now, if, if this became bigger than Joe Rogan, well, actually, that's a bad example. If I went to, I don't know if Joe Rogan's got a co-host, but I'm sure he does. Well, Rob, I don't know anything about Joe Rogan. Rob has a podcast. They've got all those people on that show that help him out. And I'll oh, look at us where Rob has a podcast. If I went to freaking Stephen Fishback, who's made a career out of being on Rob has the podcast as a co-host. He's doing well for himself, I'm sure. And I said, Steve, you want to come on the Oz Network and uh, join a show with one Patreon that has like <laughs> three listeners and a pretty bad reputation from the past. And Stephen Fishback was like, yeah, right. Like, do you think he's going to do that? No. <laughs> so why does she want to give up on this potential to go do this and then get shittier? Anyway, so she's about to go strip again at Cheetahs. She finds out she's gotten the role as a backup dancer. Robert Darby's not happy. We have this like whole training sequence um, with a woman called Gay and a redheaded guy who I know you're not really a big friends person. But if anybody remembers the episode of Friends where they have the routine when they get to Ross and Monica do the big dance off of Dick, Dick Clark's Rock and Eve, the stagehand on that uh, episode is this guy. So he basically plays the same character in Friends that he's he, playing in this movie. He, he went on to become another stagehand. Exactly. It's good for him. <laughs> Typecast. Um, so there's a lot of dancing here, a lot of dancing terminology uh, we see a bit of rivalry going on between two of these other dancers who is obviously going to give a bit of inspiration to Elizabeth Berkeley shoving down. I love this whole, like, sequence of, like, just explosions and boobs and shirtless men and simulated oral sex on stage because why not? Um, after the show, Kyle McLaughlin gives her flowers. Gina Gershon and her go off and have champagne. There's a weird conversation about eating dog food, which is gotten cult status the doggy chow i love doggy chow Mm, me too um sure um they kind of have like weird kinky sort of flirtation sex on stage where she's rubbing her nipples colin's very uncomfortable with that because there's lesbian sex almost in it um one of my favorite scenes of these two obnoxious little fucking children who are all like Mommy, oh. mommy, we want to do this, we want to do that. I want to see the monkeys. I want to see the monkeys, I want to see this. And then that woman's just like, ah, oh, fuck you, fuck off, get those fucking kids. I love this woman. I, she's my favourite character in the movie. That, that's me. Get these fucking kids out of here. Mommy, mommy, she said the F word. I don't give a fuck, fuck off. And they start crying. They're surrounded by tits. And yet they're offended by the F word. Like this little boy is loving life. You know you know, in A League of Their Own when you've got the uh, the player who brings a little kid along? You know, mm. you're going to lose. And there's that bit where like he's like sneaking around like with his hands over his face yeah. like watching them go. Like why isn't this kid doing that? He's seen the whole thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's numb to it like the audience. And this basically <sighs> leads to um, Elizabeth Berkeley getting the offer to go work at a boat show and then one of the other dancers is like, don't do it, don't do it, don't work at the boat show. Um, it's a Catalina wine mixer. You never want to do that. Um, I'll maybe leave it. That's an hour and 15 covered, Colin. Um, I'm sure you're <laughs> it, it, like, 
it feels like there's a lot going on, but there's also a not a lot going on. There's so. not. <laughs> and breathe. Um, yeah, Elizabeth Brickley, like every time she just does something like really fast and erratic, I'm just like, oh, seriously, like when she's basically been given a free meal and offered a place to live by this woman and she's slamming ketchup down that's exploding on the table and throwing <laughs> fries everywhere. Like if the intention of this movie was to be over the top, there would be more than one person over the top. And one thing I hate is that uh, Paul Verhoeven basically came out and basically accepted responsibility for the criticism she got. He said, well, it wasn't her fault. I directed her that way, which I think is not the case because he directed nobody else in this movie to be like that. But even if that is what he did, that is a director's job. Like, why are we going to give her a free pass, but not give anybody in the room a free pass or anybody else in these bad movies a free pass? I mean, the director's job is to direct the performance. She's just bad at what she does. She can't even make throwing ketchup and fries and randomly vomiting when she just comes out and she's like, where's my suitcase? <laughs> this should really work and it just doesn't work. Like I can see this working with, with somebody else doing it, somebody else acting, somebody else directing. It's just nobody got what they should have been doing here. Um, I don't understand like the, the whole premise of this movie. Like, is it her dream to do this? When did she start stripping? Did she do it just to save money? Why is she still sleeping on the couch in a trailer? If she's making this kind of cash, um, I, I do appreciate that they're, they're showing this movie is not just the stripping profession. Like it's, oh, it's all degradation. And I'm not, I'm not sitting here defending the stripping profession. I've never seen a stripper Hello, other than uh, the strippers. ones in showgirls. <laughs> but, uh, but like, this is showing, listen, this is a way to make a living. And there's even a way to do this where it's not sleazy and you're not being harassed all the time. And even Robert Davi, like, yeah, Robert Davi is sleazy in this movie, but He's also running a business where he says, you don't touch my girls. That's my job. <laughs> so he's not a good guy, but like he's running a business that is trying to respect his workers and everything. Um, it, it, but but like when they get the big stage shows, I'm like, oh, I could see why something like this you know, might be a big deal. Um, the, the the one guy I like in this movie, okay, I, I will give you the 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 stripper lady who's <laughs> you know, pulls the string Love and her, her boobs fall out. She. She's funny, but this guy who's auditioning, like he is mm. so good when he's like, all right, spell MGM for me backwards. And the girl's like, uh, MGM. Goes, Didn't think you could do it. Okay. And then later on, what was it? He says, uh, um, goodbye ladies. You wasted my time and yours. Like, this guy's so good. Uh, I wanted more of him in this movie and he's barely in it. Uh, I don't get why Kyle McLaughlin plays this role. So serious. Uh, again, it's probably just, they thought they were making a serious movie, but like you could have some fun with his character and make him, make them really hateable. The The biggest problem is that we'll, we'll go right to, I've got nothing else to say here. Nothing to declare. Um, the, uh, the, the guy who's putting on the one man show here. Like I actually see why she wouldn't just say yes to this because he's basically saying there's no money in it. Like, well, we don't know if she needs money. She's sleeping on somebody's couch. So she doesn't actually need the money, but she's not wrong to turn him down and say, yeah, I don't see this working, but he's also not wrong to not only sleep with this other woman, but he has a show to run and she starts getting upset. Oh, were you going to give her my part too? And I wanted to be like the part you turned down. Exactly. Cause he even said, I'm doing this for free. I'm making no money. Yeah. And later on, like, well, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of you again, but we pick up the next time we pick up on this guy where they spend half of this movie trying to build, like there's a love story. And then we pick up with him a little over a, an hour into this movie. And he's with this other girl that he was auditioning who apparently wasn't a good dancer. And, and she's the she one, said, sorry to interrupt, I think she's the one who has a sequel made on it. I think that's the one who the sequel is on. Yeah, I was her. looking at, what is it, th Pennies from Heaven? Yeah, I think, because <laughs> I think that's Penny. So I think that she's... This lady, okay, Yeah. this lady wrote, uh, or she, yeah, she wrote, directed, and starred in the sequel. So I have a feeling this is probably like some fan film that she did. So that, you say that and, if I end up getting a cameo in a film and I think my character is more important enough, I can write and direct my own sequel. Like, somebody in Kill Phil's listening, if you want your own, go for it. Have the Kill Phil spinoff. <laughs> $30,000 budget. And and the sequel was two hours and 25 minutes long. I kind of want to watch this I think it movie got better. I think it got a better rating on Rotten Tomatoes from what I saw as well. And this movie cost like $50 million, <laughs> which was a lot of money back in the day. So Yeah, and you could see where the budget went for this movie. I mean, they're putting on these big stage shows. So, like, I appreciate technically how this movie was made. But, but yeah, like, this guy does nothing wrong. And I, I, and I like when he's saying uh, or she's asking, what, are you going to marry her? He goes, yeah, we're engaged. And he's like, oh, is that what you want? It's like, no, not, maybe not, but I'll, I'll have a good life with her. She'll she'll actually work for me. She'll help me. She's going to help me get my stage show off the ground. 
why do we have to see the only time we pick up with this guy again that his show's completely flopping and everybody's heckling him and booing him? Mm. Because again, he's the only really good, well, him and the roommate are the only truly good characters in this movie who don't do anything wrong. Uh, but but like we we spent so long trying to establish there's be a love story that goes nowhere. And this is what reminded me of Glitter because if you remember Glitter, like she meets some guy who's like, I really have an idea. I want to mm. I want to do something with you and not have you just be some sleazy singer. I want you to be something special and then develop a relationship. It just goes nowhere in this movie. And then when you end up getting is like this rise to power, which again sends all the wrong messages into this movie. Um, but uh, the uh, the 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 scene that. Uh, uh, the, the, what's yeah, that? the boat that show, one. boat show, the boat show. Yeah. Okay. This is my biggest problem with the movie. You build this scene up like, don't do it. Don't do it. I hear it's a really bad experience. And to me, this is like Mark shaving in the room. It's like, <laughs> we're dun, dun, dun. Like, this is going to be so bad. Oh, don't other girls have said that it was the worst thing they ever did. She goes there. She gets propositioned. She says, no, the guy says, hey, we're paying money for this. No, you're not. She goes, complains to the boss. The box makes the guy apologize. When she's gone, he basically calls the guy, sorry, I had to do that. Nothing happens to this girl. So why are, why is this such a big deal? Like this is supposed to be like, this is the moment that broke her. No, she basically says, no, I'm not doing this. And, and from her perspective, and then she goes to her friend, you were right about the boat show. You got worse treatment Everywhere, every other place you've been in this movie, including the nightclub, by the guy asking to dance for you, who's the hero of this movie. Then you get the the boat show guy is probably the nicest sleaze bag in this movie. I, and again, like this is the thing. Everything you're saying, I don't disagree with you. I think I, I solidly agree with you. I just I'm, I I really got the cable viewpoint. I'm watching it differently, <laughs> and like I think that I can in, like again as I keep saying, this is a bad movie. But like I'm watching this on room levels of badness. That like I enjoy it to a point where I can see the issues with it, but I don't have an issue with it being bad, if that makes sense. And like, again, I'm, I, I keep, the more and more I talk about this, the more and more I want to defend my point about this being a woman empowerment movie. Because oh, no, no, no. She's then, she's like, how what? many, how many times does she full on turn out and like stand up for herself? And like, this is the nineties. No women stood up to themselves as much as they do now. We've established that. How many people got away with it? She's she's full on standing up for herself going, no, this is not okay. I'm not going to sleep with you just because you're paying $1,000 for me to do this. Like, fuck off. This is inappropriate. And she reports it. Something which did happen in the 90s. Let me backtrack. People did report it, but it wasn't as widely openly discussed and it got away with a lot more. So to me, for a movie made in 1995, that's very forward thinking. I'm not saying there aren't points in this movie where she stands up for herself. To be honest, when she stands up for herself, again, it's just so laughable how she stands up for herself. I can't feel for her. There are moments she does, but the main thing that happens in this movie is she turns into a sociopath. She kills her, almost kills her boss. She probably should have killed her boss. And then she just gets to go off and no consequences to her. You flip this movie around and it is a male character who stands up for himself when he's being harassed, but then he also almost kills somebody and just gets away with it. That's not empowering. That's like, oh, this is a tragic but, tale. But, but oh, this I, is but a I, I... This, There's nothing, you can't... You can't be empowering in two scenes and then have the message of the movie be you are a terrible person who has almost killed a person, but it's all okay because you stood up for yourself. I've got like nine minutes to wrap this up, but I just want to say I disagree <laughs> on the level that if this is a man, we're not even having this conversation. And that's that's the difference. And I mean, I, I feel bad that I'm even having this conversation because it is a woman. And this is the thing. This is what I want to be in a part where we don't have to have these conversations just because she's a woman. That's where it's wrong. But I, I, I think I want, if it's a man, a we're not even discussing it. I, th- I want a world where the consequence of a movie is if you almost kill somebody just to get ahead and you do get ahead in the process, that's not but, necessarily something that you should no, be applauding. No, no, I, I agree. I agree. But, like, I mean, there's so many examples of movies that, we, like, we did it with Titanic. Like, I mean, if you really get to the crux of Titanic, Rose and Jack are horrible people. You, you know? Like, yeah, and I agree. There are so many movies, them. like, they're, they're horrible people. But, like, I, I don't know. Anyway, nine minutes. All right. <laughs> this has got to be record time. So, uh <sighs> Brace yourselves. Okay, so yes, boat show. She says no. Um, she then basically uh, witnesses two of her background dancers having a fight. There's a really cheesy over-the-top scene of diamonds on stage and the woman breaking a leg or something like that, which is, yep, okay. Um, so that means then that uh, somebody else has got to come in. There's She's going to be auditioning for the role of an understudy, potentially, for Gina Gershon's character. She goes to Kyle McLaughlin's house. We have the most awkwardly weird sex scene ever. I want to say it's worse than The Room. Um, yeah. At least with The Room, you know what they're trying to do. This, uh, is she having sex or is she on, like, a ride at the fair? Like, what is, like, 
Colin, you'll have sex one day, I'm sure, but I've had sex. No woman I've ever had sex with have gone like, <laughs> like, you know, those inflatable giant arm wavy things like on Family Guy? Yeah. Giant inflatable wavy arm wavy things. Like, she's one of those. Like, <laughs> like, what is that scene? That is hilarious. But again, it's so bad. It's hilariously brilliant. Like it's just, That scene's on the right track for what this movie, this whole movie should have been. Because at the end of it, they just sort of like look at each other and it's like, oh, baby, was it good for you? Um, <laughs> there's, um again, this is way over your head. I'm t- talking to a different audience here. But if you're listening to us talk about showgirls, I'm sure you've got something with, with you like me. There's a, <laughs> um, a website called eFucked, which is basically a website that kind of shows porn bloopers and just like funny, ridiculous things in porn. Like it's hilarious. And they often will sort of have like over the top scenes from certain porn websites, which are hilarious. I want them to put this on there. Like this isn't even porn, but it's just, it's just hilariously bad. Anyway, not that I watch porn. That's disgusting. Um, so he's all like, Hey baby, come tomorrow and uh, be the understudy for Gina Gershon. So she essentially goes in, she gets it. But then Gina Gershon is all like, no, I'm Gina Gershon. You're not doing it. So she gets overridden. So this is kind of like the, the power hungry nature of it. She meanwhile goes off and sees two man show. It's pretty ridiculous. She's, he's gotten someone pregnant and they're getting married. So that plot line went somewhere. Uh, there's this weird sort of like sexual tension rivalry on stage between Gina Gershon and Elizabeth Berkeley. She pushes her down the stairs um, to get the role. She gets away with it. So she is now the new Gina Gershon. Molly's not happy about this. She's all like, I saw what you did. She's like, what are you talking about? The other woman saw me do it. There's this big party going on to celebrate it. She's now the big star of Vegas. Molly shows up because she's going to meet this weird Fabio guy who's like a celebrity. Um, And so we meet him for the first time. And then out of nowhere, he and his friends gang rape Molly. Yep, that happened. Um, She walks out. Oh, no, she's been gang raped. But again, this is where it's sort of like a... It's a weird way of saying parody satire of like a rape scene because this is terrible. But like kind of showing that Hollywood machine for thinking. Harvey Weinstein was doing this shit in the 90s and no one even questioned it. So this is kind of that message that this is ahead of its time. They literally got evidence that this big Hollywood star has like full on raped a woman, but he's going to get away with it because he's part of the he's part of the show. Like, shh, we've got to be quiet. Again, 1995. 20 years prior to the Me Too movement, and this is already saying this right now, ahead of its time, sending a message. It's done in a graphically horrible way, but at the same time, I think it hits home hard enough that you know what's happening here. So Elizabeth Berkeley to stand up for this, goes and gets a knife, goes and holds up Fabio, basically like Jack Bowers it to freaking uh, Walt, I'm going to cut you, I'm going to slice you, I'm going to dice you. Uh, <laughs> Truman Show, what is it, honey? You're going to slice, dice me? Um, so she stands up, gets her way back, has a hospital scene with Gina Gershon. She's all out and she's basically like, I don't even blame you. You know, you got taken over by the Hollywood empowerment, but then she's all like, nah, I don't need this anymore. Gets in the car, finds out with uh, old Elvis lookalike here and leaves just as we see a giant billboard. All right. Showgirls, you've got literally, uh, four <sighs> minutes to give some opinions and wrap this up. Go. Uh, I don't even think I'll take four minutes off. Uh, when- you've got when- two minutes because I need to add two minutes to that. So yeah. go. Well, uh- Okay, let me let me just say, talk about another thing this movie sends the wrong message on. Like, okay, every, all the, the guys in this movie are bad. Sure, he rapes a girl. Now, it's completely unrealistic how this happens because maybe you want to make some commentary on about how everybody in Hollywood's going to ignore it. You spend a two-minute scene doing this, and then you just talk about it afterwards. Make this a larger part of the movie if you want to make it where everybody just sees this, they turn their eyes. But this girl, clearly audible from the other room, is getting gang raped. This guy has no, he has no reason to prepare for this. He didn't even know the girl was going to be here. <laughs> she, she basically, oh, this is my friend. She's a really good Oh, okay, why don't you come to this room? And there's already a guy waiting there to gang rape her? Well, I like, think he's got that, a whole crew Im- there. I think it's implied that he's going to get someone and this is just a, his victim, so... But but again, why is he going about doing it? What if she just says, sure, I'd love to sleep with all of you. Like it's it's just it makes no sense this guy's gonna put himself in this situation where he doesn't know that they're not gonna press charges. They're basically maneuvering afterwards. So it, it everything from that happens from this point on leads you to believe that this was not planned. Nobody knew it was gonna happen. But then when it fa- happened, they just said, We're gonna turn a blind eye to it. It's just it's so poorly done. Uh the um the, the messages movie with Gina Gershon. Okay, so uh, she basically spends the entire movie being Robert Davi, sexually harassing her coworker, and in the end, 
Sure, she almost dies, but then she continues to sexually harass her coworker. And we're supposed to believe these two girls, oh, it's a good ending. Look, they kiss in the end. Happy ending. No, she's still sexually harassing her coworker. What is the message of this movie? I don't understand. Uh, this movie's not meant to be taken seriously. Give me a version of this movie where it knows it's bad and it's going over the top more than just Elizabeth Berkeley's bad acting. Let everybody go over the top or just have nobody go over the top, but just pick one or the other. Uh, the roommate who knows that she did this. Oh, I knew you tripped her down the stairs. And then it's like a week later when they've already got the, the opening of the show that Nomi's starring in. She's like, by the way, I know you pushed her down the stairs. She's sleeping on your couch. You didn't think to bring it up at any point in the last week? Just conveniently bring it up now? Uh, it's just uh, everything in this movie is just no, nothing's effective here. Uh, like you said, you're blind to the new. I mean, I got. I'll, I'll be honest. I can appreciate you know some nudity if it's if it's done well. If wow. it's if it's done subtly, but there's nothing subtle about this movie. Um, and yeah, Nomi gets to be a hero in the end because there was a movie that came out. It got nominated for best picture, I think, two years ago called Promising Young Woman. And it was basically this about a woman who was raped and she made it her career to go and basically set up guys like this. That was a good movie. That movie did it well. This movie is just like it, everything with this rape is an afterthought and her redemption's an afterthought. Let that redemption be the final scene. Don't go on and continue to show, uh, sorry, I almost killed you. Now continue to sexually harass me. That's the end of message of this movie. All right. Any message of this movie? It was poorly received. It won seven Razzies. Uh, it also got the worst picture of the decade. Uh, for yeah. the 90s at the Razzies. That might be a little harsh. <laughs> uh, yeah, it beat an Alan Smythe film, Burn Hollywood Burn, Hudson Hawk, The Postman, and Striptease, which, as I said, I thought was more well-received. Madonna, might, meanwhile, won Worst Actress of the Century. I'm sure you'd be happy about that one. Um, box office didn't do great. $20 million it made. Um, opening weekend, it went up against seven and uh, nearly beat seven. Mm. Uh, but uh, just behind it and uh, was nowhere basically near the top um anything of that year of the box office wise um just really quickly here uh in terms of um reviews i've just got one here really quickly a 10 out of 10 it's showtime elizabeth berkeley gives a fearless tour to force of energy in this nude all adult all that legendary iconic mgm dance field the only one of its kind exactly the perfect love child of flash dance and basic instinct the rest of the cast is amazing course beautifully shot edited brilliant direction paul verhoeven yep cool um plot keywords um, lap dancing, funnily enough, number one. Uh, oh, this is one that I kind of wish we had more time to go through. Oh, ooh, menstruation month. Let's go there. <laughs> That'll do. Um, featuring The Departed, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, Bombshell, and Superbad. Not even Movie 43. That that had a big period <laughs> scene in it. Um, Jamie sent me uh, the clip of Hugh Jackman with the testicles on the chin. He said, what is this? And I said, Movie 43. We covered it last year. Listen to the recap. Um, that's all I've got to say. You're obviously binning it, I'm assuming. Yeah, Ben. I'm buying it. I'm sorry. I'm buying it. <laughs> I am buying Showgirls. I I, I want to watch it again. Uh, I'm cable. I'm on board. Oh. I, I watched this the right way. So ranking, clearly, this will be number one, Jack and Jill number two. Which next week, Hell's it up. Colin, quickly, give us a thought. I've never seen it. Uh, it's about a dark has sex with Leah Thompson, right? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, saw, I saw it like maybe once or maybe twice years ago when I was a kid. I don't remember loving it, but I thought, oh, it was better than this. I'm halfway through the movie now, and I'm in no rush to finish it. Uh, so I got a week now, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it's it's bad. Probably maybe slightly better than Showgirls, but we'll have to wait to see. It's it's just as wrong as Showgirls. Never thought you'd be saying you'd be looking forward to Freddy Got Fingered, so there you go. Um, <laughs> That's the hope for the month. 24, listen to that. It's happening. Uh, our, our room recap, our special edition will be also next week with our, the remainder of that Greg Sestro interview that we did earlier in the year. Like, subscribe, do all that sort of stuff. And thank you for joining us on a record episode. And I really wish we had longer to talk about Showgirls because I enjoyed it. My name is Ben. And if you want to last longer than a week, give me a blowjob. And my name is Colin. And I can't help it if you don't have a gay partner. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time.
Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. (laughs)